0: Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And you know what time it is. It's time for the Duff McKagan joke of the week.
1: Hey, Chris Jericho. Duff McKagan called me up. Uh, listen, I was, you know, rehearsing. Um,
2: I went into the, you know, rehearsal place and McBob, my, my big set, you know, kind of fed up with me, but could you be any more annoying? So the next day,
0: I wore tap shoes. Okay. Thank you very much. Goodbye. uh kind of still trying to figure that one out Uh, might need an explanation from duff but hey i gotta say thanks because duff has not missed a friday in the last four years which is insane even though he's in the middle of uh, guns N' roses rehearsals because their tour starts next weekend july 31st in pennsylvania and fozzy already started up again as well thanks to everyone who came out and rocked with us last week and the fozzy fun continues August 7th in Sheboygan, Wisconsin at Brat Days. And then the Save the World Tour gets started in earnest. uh, September 2nd in Columbus. 3rd in Joliet, Illinois. 4th, Belvedere, Illinois. 6th, Kansasville, Wisconsin. 9th, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And the list goes on and on. Pittsburgh is sold out. Cleveland is sold out. Flint is sold out. Johnson City is sold out. A lot of the dates are going to be sold out as we go out with Through Fire and Royal Bliss. It's going to be a great time. And then we're headed to Europe starting May. Uh, sorry, November 30th in Manchester at Club Academy. Newcastle, Glasgow, Belfast, Nottingham sold out. Swansea, Wales sold out. Lots of sellouts. So check out fozzyrock.com for all ticket and VIP info. We have the best VIP in the business. We do a mini set for you guys, a mini concert set. We meet you, we greet you, we hang out. All right, so go rock with Fozzy and come laugh with the Winnipeggers. New episodes came out last night. It's a rock and roll weekend. Me, Ribo, and Dave share some of the crazy weekend adventures of our youth. And we take somebody off the band list that has been on basically since the beginning of the show. So join us every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook and YouTube channels. And join me now because there's nothing funny about my guests or the topic we're discussing uh, here on Talk is Jericho today. We're going back to true crime in the case of the cookbook killer. Uh, he called himself Nathaniel Barr Jonah, and he prayed mostly on children. He kidnapped them tortured them, killed them, and authorities believe he might have ate some of them as well. Uh, When he was finally arrested, law enforcement found Bar-Jonah's recipe book for cooking humans. They even think he may have served some of his human dishes to his neighbors. Uh, It's just a terrible story. Authorities can make a case for 17 victims when they finally caught Bar-Jonah in the late 90s, but they suspect there are many, many more that no one knows about. So I got Jamie and John from the True Crime Cast podcast coming up to take us in-depth on this serial killer i've never heard of the cookbook killer until jamie and john told me about him and that's what their podcast specializes in true crime cast covers the small town unknown cases you might never have heard of they do two episodes a week uh just like talk is jericho they're on tuesdays and fridays so let's get into it the horrible case of the cookbook killer with john and jamie from the true crime cast podcast right here on talk is jericho Okay, so one of the kind of most popular uh, subjects and topics on Talk is Jericho is true crime. And I'm always looking for new experts to talk with, and I've had quite a few. And uh, Jamie and John reached out from the True Crime cast to talk about um, my experiences with Rob Chalk, which we talked about a few months ago here on Talk is Jericho. And they wanted to uh, do a show on Rob themselves. So being a uh, seasoned vet, I said, well, if you want me, then you got to give me something in return. So I said, do you have any good topics to discuss? And they threw a couple at me. So I went and looked through kind of their shows. And one that really stood out to me that I hadn't heard a lot about was the uh, is the cookbook killer. And we'll get into that. Um, But first and foremost, you guys seem like a couple normal guys. I think you're from Kentucky. Uh, What kind of got you into this horrific field of of true crime, which is also so interesting and engrossing as well?
1: Yeah, I think it's the same as it is for most people. We just kind of stumbled into it through listening to podcasts, watching movies, big fans of Criminal Minds and CSI and those kinds of things. And then we kind of decided, hey we talk about these cases we listen to on other podcasts or read about, why don't we just put a microphone in front of ourselves and see what happens?
2: And how long have you guys been doing the show for? We've been doing this for three years, and I can't believe it's
1: been that long. It's been an awesome ride. And there's that many subjects to discuss. Unfortunately, we have found no end of material. When we first got started, we were concerned about that, right? Yeah, I think we're going to be good until the end of time. So I think we're going to be
2: staying strong.
0: Well, it's so amazing just just how many, um, you know, different villains there's been over the decades. And like you said, that there's always new ones kind of popping up seemingly all the time. But but I think most of these cases that we talk about are kind of pre 2000 pre technology, if you will, if you have you guys noticed that as well.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's really hard to be a criminal right now and to avoid detection. And usually we only hear about these killers that kill many, many people in gruesome ways. And now there are just so many ways to track individuals that I think it's thankfully harder to get away with it, or at least I hope so. And we're getting cases solved from like
2: 30 years ago because of the advances in technology. So it's it's a, it's interesting times we live in, for sure.
0: I had a show with um, kind of a, a serial killer expert a few months ago, and he was mentioned that, that serial killers in the modern era have basically been replaced with mass murders, like mass shootings and those types of things. He said those are kind of the the serial killers of, of the 2000s, of the new millennium. Because there's so much tracking that you can do now, and you mentioned all these cold cases that are popping up, and people are finding, you know, that they're being found guilty 30, 40 years after the crime because this type of forensics and technology just wasn't around back in the 70s and 80s when a lot of these crimes occurred.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you got to be thankful for that. But at the same time, there's no shortage of crimes committed before this era uh that give us so much material how did you get interested in true crime i know i listened to a ton of your podcasts that cover cases that i'm really interested in what's the fascination on your end
0: well i mean it's the same reason you guys did because th- there's so much material about it and i find it so interesting because there, there is so many different aspects and then of course you get the mansons and the Berkowitzes and, and those type of guys but then you know like we mentioned today talking about the the, the cookbook killer and kind of all the trials and tribulations of this guy. So let's talk a little bit about him. How was this case kind of, you know, how, how did you discover this one? Because I've never heard of it before, but there's so much to it. It's actually quite chilling that, I mean, of course, you never want to give these types of, of, of horrible human beings press and the spotlight. But I'm surprised that it hasn't been more kind of in the spotlight with all the different things that he did. How did you find out about Nathaniel Bar Jones?
1: Yeah, he is not really a recognized name. There's not a lot of notoriety with him. We get, I mean, we're 200 cases in, and we get so many cases from listeners every week. It's really hard to keep up with, but occasionally we'll hear about one, and they'll give us a description Mm -hmm. that really just is impossible to ignore. And I think this was one of those of, you know, we get, I get squeamish when we talk about, there, there are two different things, cannibalism and crimes with children. And uh, Nathaniel Barjona checks off both of those.
0: Well, and, and that's the thing. Anytime you have stories about kids, and, and now especially that I have kids, you know, and just hearing all these different—I mean, I just watched the the special on Netflix about Gacy, which was pretty, you know, in depth and very graphic involving children. And, and I, I think kind of delving into this case a little bit, it's not even kind of the, the victims that he claims. It's kind of all the ones that. He might have had something to do with that. He didn't cop to, shall we say, or or had any evidence dealing with him and connecting him. But so let's talk a little bit about about how this guy came to be and what his history and what his past was. And then we'll get into just the just the, the, the horrific crimes that he committed.
1: Yeah. Over the course of his career, he was responsible for abductions, assaults, molestations, murders and allegedly cannibalism, which we'll talk to earlier. And all of his victims were children. Before, he was one of the more deranged criminals that we've ever talked about on our show. He started, like so many other criminals do, with a really dysfunctional childhood. We find that everybody we talk about just grew up in such a messed up environment. Occasionally, you will get one that, you know, they had seemingly a quote-unquote normal childhood and just had a break. But most of them really have a hard time growing up. He was born in worcester massachusetts in 1957 was actually named david brown and even his name change is kind of a really weird thing that we can talk about a little later but when he was seven years old was when we started seeing these acts of violence he talked a five-year-old neighbor girl into his basement to play with his ouija board and he climbed on top of her on the couch and started strangling her using his hands to to really try to take her life his mom caught them and saved the girl's life He told people the Ouija board told him to do it, and there were no
0: ramifications for that one. Hold on, so he's seven years old asking a five-year-old to come play with his Ouija board? What kind of a seven-year-old plays with a Ouija board? (laughs) There's
2: a whole lot to unpack in that one sentence, but yeah, there's a seven-year-old with the Ouija board, and he uses that as a way to get his five-year-old victim into the house to potentially, potentially sexually assault her and try to strangle her. So there's a lot going on. At a really young age, he was kind of the kid in school that, you know, you're probably going to remember for kind of being a little bit odd. His teachers would say that they remembered him like picking scabs off his body and Uh. eating them in class. And it was Uh. just really freaking everybody out. Uh. So, I mean, this Uh. kid had a lot going on from a really early age.
0: I mean, you always had those kids in class, the the scab pickers. And just thinking about that grosses me out uh, and eating them as well kind of a step above the guys who just pick their nose and eat it but, but i mean when you're a teacher and you see these types of things you have to be kind of wondering what's going on you know but what's it, what, what year is this the 60s the 70s yeah the early 60s
1: 1964 was when he tried to strangle the girl with a ouija board or at the ouija board meeting that he put together <laughs>
0: Like, I don't care what decades you're in, though. I mean, that's pretty creepy stuff. And there's always the one kid in class who creeped everybody out. Either he smelled weird, or like you said, he'd have his finger up his nose all the time, or he would pick his scabs, but I didn't know one that actually ate the scabs. Oh, That's gross. And he he continued
1: to do that when he was in prison. And the guards would sit and watch him, and that would creep all the other prisoners out, too. So that was something throughout his life of – and he would say it had to do with fascinations of eating flesh, and he would do it in front of people. It's even reported
2: that he would drink his own blood. So even a step further than just eating a scab, like, the dude would, like, drink his own blood. So that's just the next-level crazy kind of thing.
0: I think that's something where kids, everybody might try it once or twice – actually to be doing it in class you know like you, you you lick the blood to stop it from bleeding right but i mean this sounds a little bit uh a little bit more in depth than that if you're saying he's drinking his blood okay so he's starting off uh in this weird childhood you know we haven't even hit eight nine years old any other instances of weirdness in his pre-adolescent years?
2: Yeah, when he was 12 years old, there was a six-year-old boy that he got to go to like a remote area with them, where, where Bar-Jonah would sexually assault this child. They were going sledding. Yeah. There's a, there's a report that he tried to run over a kid with a lawnmower. And I guess that one sticks with me mm. because later in his life, he tries to run over kids with his car. So from a really young age, he's fascinated about running over people with automobiles or lawnmowers.
0: Kind of weird. Kind of weird. It's very weird. Once again, there's no no authorities or adults or teachers are, are noticing this. Well, here's the thing. I, like, you have kids. My kids will
1: get in arguments with each other. They may get in a little fight with another kid. So if a kid hurts another kid, that's uh, kids being kids. But strangling somebody in the basement or trying to run somebody over, those are next-level problems, and it sounds like either the – The authorities, his parents, the teachers weren't communicating, or they didn't care. It's almost like uh, like when teachers pass kids to get them out of the grade. You're just, I don't want you to be my problem anymore, and we end up seeing that throughout his life, too.
2: There was another time as a teenager that he tried to get two boys to go to a cemetery with him, and they refused to go because they felt the whole situation was creepy, but he later said that he planned on killing for the first time at that encounter, so if those boys would have went... We may have been talking about another murder at that time. And then when he's 18 years old, this is when things really Mm. start to ramp up. He dresses as police officer, like he tries to be a police officer so that he can get younger victims to trust him, go places with them. And that's when things really hit
1: the fan.
0: So what do you mean? He he bought a police officer outfit or... or bought one or something along these lines?
1: Yeah, it was like a used police jacket where you could see where there used to be an actual patch and he bought a fake badge and put it there and he would wear blue pants and he found a blue hat that said security on it. So it was very much a makeshift costume if nothing else, but he was really trying to get people to trust him. He would go on to tell later victims he was in the FBI or he was security at the mall where he would kidnap them, but He just tried to represent an authority figure so that people, like John said, would trust him.
0: Of course, because kids trust cops, too,
2: right? Yeah. I mean, I teach my kids that if you're lost, you know, find an officer. If you see a police officer, they're the people that can help you. They're the people that can get you back to me. So he's using that safety, you know, that the kids feel as a way to
1: take advantage of the situation. But it was this first time when he dressed as a police officer that he kidnapped eight-year-old Richard O'Connor. Uh, He told Richard he was looking for a runaway kid that was late for school. Richard happened to be running late for school, so he trusted him, and he got in his car. He told him it was an undercover police car. But instead, he took him out in the woods. He would, And this is where we start getting graphic, and I start getting queasy. He climbed in the back seat, had Richard take his clothes off, started strangling him and sexually assaulting him. And he would strangle him to the edge of consciousness and wake him up to do it again. And, I mean... Just based on everything we know about, and we have to know what his motive is here, it's alleged that he threatened to kill Richard with a shovel, ultimately backed off of that. But thankfully, when Richard got into the car, a neighbor had called the police and they tracked him down before he could kill Richard. But when they got to him, he was bloodied, he was near death from being strangled. And Barjona would say his defense was I blacked out and don't even remember this. And then he would later say that Richard reminded him of a mechanic that ripped his mom off. So his excuses aren't even, I mean, not that there's any excuse for this, but it's obvious that this guy's off his rocker. So it's like a sexual assault, but there's also a component
2: of torture in there where he was letting the kid go unconscious, waking the kid Mm -hmm. back up and then doing it again, you know. So there's the sexual component, but then there's also this fascination of torture.
0: Well, and let's just say this too like, this is not a a small man per se. He's tipping the scales at over 300 pounds, correct?
2: Yeah, he's a. I would say morbidly obese guy and he would use that size as a as a weapon almost in several other cases.
0: So an 8-year-old kid reminded him of a of a mechanic that ripped off his mom.
2: Yeah, I really don't understand that. I don't know how an 8-year-old would look like, you know, an adult mechanic, but that was the excuse that he gave when he was asked about it.
0: So go ahead Jamie, what were you saying? Well, he's arrested for this,
1: for for kidnapping this kid, for abusing and assaulting them. Maybe authorities don't know everything he did. What would you say should be the the penalty for something like this? Because this was the first big shocking revelation to me that something was really wrong here.
0: Well, I mean, I would would assume it'd be some kind of a jail term and a a fairly stiff one uh, at that.
1: You would hope so, but he got one year of supervised probation, and that's all he got for this.
0: You know, that, that, that's amazing to hear this. And I know, like you mentioned before, because I, I listened to your show about, about Jonah, how there's a pattern of him just kind of, we, I don't want to give anything away, but th- this is not the first time or the last time that he seems to skirt the law. And we hear that quite a bit in, in the Gacy case. They refuse to believe that he was this monster that eyewitnesses claimed him to be. Uh, you hear about this, in, you know, w- with... Ted Bundy and all these other things it's like these guys are so good at when they finally do get caught of almost you know charming the judge and charming the police and charming the 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 juror juries of his peers into thinking oh come on he's just lovable Jonah he's 300 pounds he's a fat guy He's Santa Claus at Christmas. How bad can he be?
2: Yeah, these sexual perps are masters at manipulation. They they know how to charm people to get them to trust them so that they can take advantage of them. And you know, hindsight is always 2020, 20, but had had the system been more rigid and strict with this guy, we may not even be here talking about this guy cuz he would have been more severely punished for these crimes. Maybe these other crimes that we're going to talk about would have never happened.
0: Well, so, so continue on that. He does, he does his supervised parole for a year. And then what, what happens from there? I'm assuming now he's probably a, a late teenager, early twenties.
1: Yeah. He's around 20 when, when this incident happens, but he doesn't even wait till probation's over to offend again. He actually this all this happened in Massachusetts. That's where he was on probation. He went over to nearby Connecticut And again, used the same ploy of impersonating a police officer and got a nine-year-old girl in his car. During the kidnapping, he did the same thing to her that he did to Richard O'Connor. He got in the back seat. He tied her up and strangled her with a seatbelt. But she started convulsing and vomiting. And when she did that, he just threw her out of the car and went away. Thankfully, there was somebody at a nearby restaurant that saw this happen, that saw him throw her out of the car. Police were able to, once again, track him down. He had kidnapped and taken advantage of this little girl, but they had no idea that he was on probation. There was poor technology back then. There weren't records kept like there are today. So they questioned him. They said, hey, the girl's safe and okay. And while he's on probation, he does this, but he's released by that town in Connecticut. And in fact, eight months later, he would get off his parole in Massachusetts and they sent him a letter thanking him for being
0: such an outstanding parolee they have the evidence and and the priors of this guy is he just lucky or what is going on here
2: at this time there's really not a a method for states to communicate with each other about sexual offenders and so he was just kind of operating under the radar going into a nearby state and they had no idea that this guy was capable of this stuff so uh actually this case would kind of spur the the communication of states and the sexual offender
1: registry. And so many people were hurt as a result of the incompetence, especially in this case. He continued to pretend to be a police officer in the summer of 1977. He used it again. This time he was in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, and he quote unquote arrested two boys at a movie theater. Their names were Billy and Alan. And this is one of his more famous stories. He took the boys, he handcuffed them, Drove them out in the woods. He got them out of the car. He was burning them with cigarettes. He was strangling them like we've talked about before. But he took this a step further. He separated the boys and he took Andy out into the woods where he sat on him. You mentioned his weight earlier, Chris. He used all 350 pounds to try to crush this kid. Now, Andy or uh, Alan, would mention later on that he pretended to be dead so that Barjona would go away, and he did. He actually went back to get Billy, and when he got back there, Alan had run away and called the authorities. So once again, the authorities tracked him down. They ended up in a police chase, and Barjona crashed his car. They got Billy out of the trunk. The boys survived this, but Barjona was arrested here for the third time in just a few years for kidnapping and abusing kids. He was Convicted this time and given a sentence of eighteen years in prison.
0: So he goes on a car chase with this kid in the trunk.
1: Yeah, which it's a miracle the kid wasn't hurt worse than he was. He was certainly banged up. He was really bruised from being thrown around. He was bloody, but the he crashed the car on the front end, so the kid ended up being okay. But yeah, he was. I don't know why he
0: thought he could get away from police. Well, once again, just think of the the mental damage on all these kids on, on Billy and Alan to escape this sort of thing. Um, that goes far beyond just the incident itself. So, Jonah Bar-Jonah is in jail for 18 years. What transpires to him there? Because obviously there's a lot more to the case. This isn't
2: the end of the story. No, and that's the really frustrating part of this story is he was sentenced to 18 years, right? But a judge lets him go after only 14 years. And the judge said that we are not able to prove that this guy is a danger to society and he lets him go after 14 years doesn't even finish his full sentence and i don't know what planet this judge is on but like the reason he's in jail is for abusing and assaulting kids he had a kid in the back of his trunk but we can't prove he's he's not a danger to the to society i don't i don't understand
1: and they had records from the psychologist that he had to talk to about him telling them about dreams and fantasies of cannibalism and hurting children so it's not like he was even pretending to be an innocent guy or not be a monster. But he served 14 years, and they let him right back out on the street where other kids were. He got out in 1991.
0: Well, not to mention, he also goes through a a pretty big change. He he changes his name. That's where he he becomes Nathaniel Bar-Jonah from David Brown. And what was his mindset behind that?
1: Yeah, so he changes his name from David Brown to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Bar-Jonah. So he grew up Jewish, but he felt like he wasn't persecuted enough for being Jewish. So he decided to make his name the most Jewish name of all time. So he could, quote unquote, know what it feels like to be treated like the Jews. So he's just finding another method to show that something's not right here.
0: I don't say I don't think that's the most Jewish name of all time. He could have been like Jaime P. Schwartz or something like that. That might have fit him better. (laughs) So this guy once again, I mean, we should be holding uh, doing a show just on all these idiots that let him out of jail. I mean, are the prisons overcrowded or they just don't want him anymore or are they is is he fooling them by playing you know, by playing dumb and playing coy and and working them into thinking that he's not this horrific person?
1: I don't know. Usually when we see that with other killers like Ted Bundy, these are good-looking, charming people that are getting over on people. If you google a picture of Nathaniel Barjona, right, you're immediately not going to trust him. He looks like somebody that you would tell your kids
0: to stay away from, right? Well, not to mention the fact of his track record, you know. Okay, but fine. So they let they let out uh, Nathaniel Barjona. So um the saga continues.
2: Yeah, it's not even a month after his release. He sees a 7-year-old boy sitting alone in a car. So he opens up the door to the car and and just sits on top of the boy, again using his size as a tactical advantage, and he tries to suffocate the kid. Now his mom would would see this and she runs to the to the boy's rescue. Bar Jonah takes off, police are able to track him down, but his excuse there was that he was just trying to get out of the rain.
0: I mean, come on, man. Is this a joke? It's like some some kind of a some kind of a
2: comedy show here. Well and The prosecution, when he was, you know, eventually going through the legal system for that, they agreed to drop the charges as long as Barjona moved out of the state. So it's like, okay, if you just move to another state where you're not our problem anymore, we'll just make this go away, and that's what
1: happened. And this is a state where he's been charged multiple times and served 14 years, and
0: they still just don't throw him away and lock. Throw away the key. He's lucky that my mom didn't didn't find him doing that to me in the car. She would have like you know hit him with a stick until he died. Surprised that mom let him go, fat bastard. (laughs) So so now they're just shuffling him. Get out of Massachusetts and go to freaking South Dakota or wherever he goes. But but also too something that that needs to be pointed out and just shows how wacky this whole thing is. This guy's super lucky. But the fact, too, is back in those days, there was no connection between states, right? Like, if, if you have this record in Massachusetts and then it gets busted in Connecticut, there was no kind of state-by-state state nationwide web, uh, legal web, right? It was just more of st- each state had its own little world and that was it.
2: Yeah, the, there was a no registry where we could keep track of people like this, but... But yeah, his his whole situation would lead to the sexual registry or, you know, one of the things that led to the sexual registry where everybody is now interconnected. We know you have to register where you are. And if you're if you're not, you're going to be punished for that. So unfortunately, at the time, it wasn't like that. But thankfully, we evolved to that a lot in part because of this guy.
1: And I almost feel like things had to be set up perfectly in all these different scenarios for him to continue to fall through the cracks and continue to hurt people. And he ended up moving to Great Falls, Montana, because that's where his mom lived. So he's moving back in with mom. He's going to a state so far away from these others where he's gotten in so much trouble. And if you read his journal, Barjona would say that, quote, unquote, I've seen God take a hopeless situation like when all avenues are closed, it seemed, and I've never ever be released, yet God told me I would, and I believe him, even with the evidence of my release was not there, then Tony, totally out of left field, I've got two Christian psychiatrists who believe me. So he had two Christian psychiatrists that told the judge that he was okay to be released to get out of here. Unbelievable.
0: Yeah, he's working the Christian gimmick like most prisoners do. Yeah, it's
1: amazing how many of them convert behind bars. And I'm sure some are genuine, but I feel like most like this one certainly is uh, more of a motive. And within his first month in Montana, shocker, he's accused of molesting another child that, get this, he was babysitting. Somebody let this man babysit their child. Babysitting? Yeah, he's went
2: to, you know, he's found these moms who oh he's built up Lord. their trust enough with that they're actually letting him babysit their children and i don't want to spoil anything but but later we're going to see where some of the children that he was babysitting there's like pictures you know sexually suggestive images of them in his apartment and so you know this guy's perping on you know who knows how many children that he was able to do this with
0: i still can't believe that somebody allowed
1: him to babysit the kid yeah it's absolutely unbelievable to me i mean Maybe it's because it's in the 21st century. I'm super picky about who watches my kids and certainly not some strange guy who lives alone. And I don't know, without at least asking about his uh, previous record or whatever there. He also worked at Hardy's in Great Falls, Montana. So he did seek out some uh, employment there and he had some co-workers that were friends and they would recall going to visit his apartment and said it was an absolute mess, which is no shocker. But that there were kids there when they would visit. So he was babysitting a lot of different kids or maybe just stealing a lot of different kids. And they would be walking around the house. They would be laying in the bed. And the worst part of this is when his friends would go to visit and see these kids, Bar Jonah would just be sitting around in his tidy whities while these young kids are walking around his apartment. Absolutely disgusting.
0: What happened with the kid, though, that uh, he molested while he was babysitting? Like, what happened? Like, did he get prosecuted for that or what? No, just like his first couple crimes, he claimed
1: innocence. He said, hey, if I did it, the kid would be dead. And the judge chalked it up to the kid falsely reporting the abuse and let him go. There were no ramifications whatsoever for that.
0: And because there's no connection between the state of Montana and the state of Massachusetts— They're not putting two and two together.
1: Yeah, there's no history established. There's no pattern of behavior for them to go off of. They just have this one child that they don't believe, so they
0: let him go. All of these crimes are, are, you know, they are terrible crimes, but as far as, you know, an actual murder, we haven't really heard that yet. But now is where it starts getting really kind of uh, dark. Yeah, this is his most famous crime, and this is...
1: Uh, you can find this as an unsolved case, a disappeared child. It goes back to a 10-year-old named Zach Ramsey, and this was in early 1996. Zach had left school, and he was on his way home. He was wearing a blue jean jacket, a football jersey with Zachary written across the back in yellow letters, blue jeans, and tennis shoes. And his wardrobe is important here. So a family who lived kind of on his path— back and forth to school, said that they saw a white four-door sedan following and trying to hit him. So going back to the lawnmower incident, he's trying to run kids over, and somebody in a nearby restaurant said that they saw an overweight man who appeared to be dressed as a police officer follow Ramsey into an alley by that restaurant, and that's the last time that anybody has seen Ramsey alive. He was legally declared dead in 2011, but his parents, we'll get to their opinion later, were not fans of that, uh, of that theory. They, they think he's still alive. But years later, when they would ultimately go into Bar Jonah's apartment, they found clothes that they didn't find the football jersey with Zachary's name on it, but they found the other clothes. They found the, the blue jean jacket, the tennis shoes, the blue jeans that apparently was what Zachary had on that day they found a list of hundreds of names now they would find that everybody that they believed he had molested or 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 hurt in some way those names were there but there were also a ton of names they couldn't find but they did find the name of zachary ramsey and beside it it said died he didn't
2: report to work that day and that's just another piece of this puzzle there was like you know how you see on the creepy movies like the newspaper clippings hanging on the wall and there was newspaper clippings from right. Zachary's case all over the wall and you know a lot of just circumstantial evidence pointing to the fact that this guy's responsible for this kid's disappearance and and I would say death as well.
1: His parents believe he's still alive. There were reports apparently he was a he he was a biracial kid with really big dimples and a scar on his forehead. So they thought he was a pretty recognizable child and there were some quote-unquote sightings in nearby towns after that but nobody's ever confirmed that zachary Ramsey's alive and there were some other things they found in his apartment that were even more disturbing which is why i think you were drawn to this case it's it's the cookbook they found decoded encoded notebooks written by bar jonah it's almost like an idiot tried to replicate the zodiac letters And police were quickly Mm -hmm. able to decode this and they found these really disturbing recipes where Barjona described torturing and even eating children. His recipes included French fried kid, little boy stew, little boy pot pie and lunch served on the patio with roasted kid recipes for cooking children.
0: I mean, yeah, that's that's the disturbing of all disturbing. I mean, it, it makes you remember the the, the fable, you know, um, the, the what is it, the witch in the, the 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 witch in the woods or whatever. That's gonna which one is that little red Riding Hood or whatever one it is? They're gonna eat the kid in the oven. Hansel and Gretel, that's the one. Yeah, shove the kid, shove the witch into the oven just so before she eats the kids. Wow, so they found a cookbook with recipes. Did it have any ingredients in these recipes or was it just like, here's some ideas for some dishes that I might want to make?
1: They were ingredients that you would find in the normal recipes for stew and uh, for pot pie, except the meat included in that was human.
2: So during the investigation, they actually learned that right after Ramsey's disappearance, Bar Jonah didn't go grocery shopping for like a month. And so while we really don't have proof that he was eating children, mm. it, it really is, it's speculated by police that he was eating uh, this kid for a month after he disappeared. And not only that, his neighbors reported that he was having a lot of cookouts at the time and that some of the meat that was being served after Ramsey's disappearance tasted a little off. So it's speculated mm-hmm. that not only he ate the, the kid, but he actually served his neighbors this child
0: yeah um that's (laughs) i mean it's it's very speechless when you when you think about this right and that's why this is such a hard to believe case so you're saying that he had cookouts (laughs) and the food that he was creating was was cooked with child's meat
2: It is speculated that that is the case. The neighbors told police that the meat that they were
1: being served
2: tasted off. So people speculate that he was actually serving his neighbors this child.
1: And we've covered a few other cases where killers have claimed to eat or to have like there's another Canadian serial killer uh, called Robert Picton who owned a, a pig farm and allegedly he mixed human meat into some of the meat that he sold to grocery stores. We know Jeffrey Dahmer was a cannibal. Like, that was proven. We've covered several others that I really just don't buy. There's not enough supporting evidence or it doesn't fit the M.O. of the killer. But here, I'm much more inclined to believe that this may have happened. They found a meat grinder in his apartment, and the meat grinder was found to have human hair in it. They believed it belonged to an African-American child, but it was ruled out to be not Zachary Ramsey, but they found human hair in a meat grinder. I'm inclined to uh, believe this one a little more than the others, I believe. Well, didn't you say that Zach Ramsey was a mixed race child? Yes, he was. He was biracial. And so the timeline fits and yeah, he uh, for it, it adds up to me that he may have actually done this, which is, like I said, these things make me squeamish. This is my worst nightmare of being a true crime
0: podcaster having to talk about this. Okay, so check this out. Just uh, I was doing a little research before, too, and I found this that I was going to read to you guys. So uh, he started holding the cookouts. First of all, who the f- go to these cookouts? We've already talked about what a what a disgusting human being he is. But he was reported to serve burgers, spaghetti, chili, meat pies, casseroles, and... When the people told Bar-Jonah that the meat had a peculiar taste to it, his response was he had gone deer hunting and used deer meat in the dishes. However, he did not own a rifle or a hunting license, nor had he been deer hunting at any time. Mr.
2: Jericho, I am a redneck. So there you go. And I can assure you that if if I want to cook you a deer, you're not going to be able to tell much difference (laughs) between my deer burger and your regular burger. So I think there's probably a little bit more to it than that.
1: I don't think my guy takes a lot of long walks either. I don't think Barjona was out there trekking through the woods to to kill a deer. He, he wasn't in shape enough to do that. You're not getting that fasso
2: in a tree stand. I can assure you that.
0: It's like everything he's saying is the worst excuse he could come up with. And people are just going, okay, sounds good to me.
1: Yeah, it's almost like he wanted to get caught. He, he's also connected to another pretty big case. James Teta was a kid who was kidnapped and strangled. In 1973, this was back when Bar-Jonah was 16. But in retrospect, knowing what we know, that falls in line with his M.O. But it was three years after the Ramsey abduction, after all the cookouts. This was in 1999, where Bar-Jonah was finally arrested. And he was arrested for impersonating a police officer. They found him outside of a school wearing a fake police jacket. He had the security hat. And he had two cans of pepper spray, a fake gun, a fake badge, and a real stun gun that they do believe he had used on children. So we've talked about how gross this guy is. You mentioned we've never gotten to actual murder, and this is where we get there. In addition to the evidence we've already talked about, they found a human bone in his apartment that they believe belonged to a young boy. They found hundreds of pictures of children cut out from magazines. He had, like, one of those folders that you would have of baseball cards with little slits in it of dozens of pictures uh, from elementary schools of kids. He had all those names that I mentioned, including Zachary Ramsey's name. And then they went back to investigate his mother's home, and under the concrete porch, they found 21 bone fragments that seemed to come from multiple children. So... It really points to the fact that he Mm. did kidnap, abuse, and kill several kids.
0: Wow. So now you're getting into this Gacy world where he's burying them under his porch. Yeah, so similar to
1: that story. and I mean, it just keeps getting worse what they found in his apartment. There were two cameras, like actual cameras back when you had to develop film. And once they developed this, they saw several pictures of kids who were asleep on his bed or in his couch, but they were posed in sexually suggested positions. And mixed in between those pictures of kids were pictures of his penis in various stages of erection. And based on when they appeared in the film role, it looked like he took those pictures while the kids were there.
0: You know, I mean, we're making some, you know, little bit of light humor here. but But once again, I mean, how... How stupid do you have to be to get, to put your kids in this position of, of being babysat by this guy? You know, once again, the, the, talking about the cookouts. There's another last thing I was going to say. One woman told Bar Jonah that she found the taste of the meat to be repulsive. He replied, "He had personally hunted, killed, butchered, and wrapped the meat, and then later would be accused of molesting this woman's this woman's son." I mean, these people are just setting themselves up for this this deranged, you know, monster. And they're lucky that, I mean, who knows how many children he actually killed? Because there's no doubt in my mind that he did. They're lucky that there wasn't dozens more. Maybe there was. We don't even know.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think there probably are more that we'll never really know about. And I, I think it, you know, I suspect two things. One, we're talking about people who are probably bad parents and are just putting too much trust in a guy they don't know. Or two, and I think it's probably more likely, I think even though he looked like a creep, I think he was probably able to manipulate people and charm them to give him the access that he needed to their children.
0: So what was kind of the final straw that put him back in jail? I mean, I would assume finding children's bones uh, in his apartment, is uh, that's enough right there. Yeah,
1: so as a result of everything they found, they charged him with kidnapping, sexually assaulting, and aggravating assaulting three children. They weren't able to prove that he killed anybody, so they didn't charge him with that, which sounds crazy. Uh, The indictment included allegations of torture, including that he had tortured one of his victims by creating a pulley system in the kitchen where he would have kids walk in there, pull a rope around their neck, and just pull the rope down so that he could strangle them without actually having to be close to them. There was a victim from 1974 that testified that He was the same man that had sexually assaulted her, although the statute of limitations prevented prosecution in that case. Why is there a statute of limitations on sexually assaulting kids? I don't understand this. Agreed. In 1999, he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to 130 years behind bars, which, in my opinion, is much better than 18. I feel like they finally got it right at that point. Way too late. Authorities suspect he was involved in a lot of other child predator cases, but they ended up not prosecuting whether they didn't have sufficient evidence. A lot of times, Chris, we see incidents like this where there are so many victims that they choose to prosecute on the strongest cases. And then if they're able to put somebody away for life, that's great, but they don't pursue every case, which peeves me off a little bit because they're not seeking justice here for for every single victim and he continued being a jerk in prison he would keep telling people that he fantasized about eating kids prison guards saw him continuing to do the gross stuff with blood and and scabs and he continued to be a miserable disgusting man through the rest of his life until he was found dead in prison in 2008 what did he die of
0: I'll give you three guesses
1: <laughs> he died of a heart attack.
0: <laughs> I was hoping he died from having his, his balls chopped off by another inmate, but I guess not so lucky. There's other cases, too, that he was suspected of, but never prosecuted be- before he went to jail.
2: Yeah, there's a 1997 vanishing of a 14-year-old girl named Amanda Galleon. She was last seen on an early morning bike ride going to school, and Bar Jonas stayed at a local motel in the town that she was in the night before, and and this was not his hometown, so
1: it's suspected that he was involved in that one. Yeah, and I mentioned James Ted a little earlier. So those are some actually high-profile missing children's cases that he's been tied to, and that doesn't even count the dozens that certainly happened around him that nobody was able to pin on him.
0: You mentioned that uh, there's three counts that he was charged with, but it's believed that he victimized a lot more. Uh, What's the number that we're dealing with here? Yeah, some people
1: suspect that there could be more people than John Wayne Gacy. There could be dozens, but they were able to compare the cases in areas where he lived with the bones they found, the pictures they found, because, I mean, Great Falls, Montana, isn't exactly a huge city, so... When police saw the list and they saw the photos, they were able to say, hey, I know that kid's family. So 17 is the number of kids that they believe they could have proven that he victimized, whether that's through sexual assault or murder. But most people believe that. There's still so, so many more that we're never going to be able to prove or find out fully about. Didn't he actually have a list of kids' names that they found? He did, and that list had well over 100 kids on it. His excuse for this list, you mentioned his horrible excuses, was that he was trying to write a book, and he was experimenting with names so that he could name his characters.
0: Worst excuses ever. That's, That's stuff you just think of on the fly when you get busted with something, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The I think back to that one where he thought the eight-year-old reminded him of his mechanic. I mean, come on, this guy's an idiot.
0: So when you when you think about the, kind of the legacy of this 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 guy, you know, Nathaniel Barr Jones, of all the cases that you've discussed on your show, is this is this one of the worst? As far as I mean, once again, the numbers aren't here. Like Gacy's where they found 21 bodies under under his or whatever it was under his house. But the implications of just the fact that he made a freaking cookbook, even if that's 25% true, I mean, that's one of the most disgusting and worst things that I've heard, at least. Yeah,
2: we've covered, I mean, hundreds of cases in our three years. And, and I tell you, the cookbook with the little boy pot pie will always stand out to me. Like, that's forever etched in my memory. And And so, yeah, I think because of that and and all the sexual molestations that he did, he's up there with, like, the most dirtiest dirtbag of them all in my book.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I, I have trouble, like I said, with any child crime, with any cannibalism. This is the most proof I've seen outside of Dahmer of actual cannibalism. And he victimized just as many kids. He may not have killed as many as John Wayne Gacy, but I think he victimized so many more in the impact of that generate it impacts not just those kids and those like generations of individuals have had their lives severely impacted from this monster so absolutely this is one of the worst ones we've covered I usually try to stay away from these but this is a story I hadn't heard a lot about so I felt like it needed to be told
0: well once again I mean you are a true crime podcast so this is the type of thing that you have to deal with no matter how you know squeamish and disgusting and horrible it is Um, I guess the last question for you guys. Do you think we discussed this a little bit earlier, but do you think cases like this and, and, you know, monsters like Nathaniel Barjona, could this ever happen again with the amount of technology and and information available in the world today? In my
2: day job, I'm a social worker for the state. And so I see monsters like this all the time. And so I can definitively say, yes, this happens all the time. It's not an isolated incident, and there are sick people living among us right now. Don't let your kids be babysat by somebody you don't freaking know.
0: Is somebody like this born this way, or are they a product of their environment?
2: I think it's a little bit of both. I think genetics plays a role in it, but I also think that there was a lot of dysfunction in his home that that kind of compounded the issue, in my personal opinion.
1: Yeah, a good metaphor I've heard is that genetics can load the gun, but then environment pulls the trigger. So you may be predisposed to act in certain ways, but there are certainly things that happen in your life that can escalate those or kind of trigger those behaviors that are kind of already residing underneath
0: well, guys, uh, it's super interesting to talk to you about this stuff, and uh, I'm sure whenever you guys get a case that we need to discuss more, please let me know. Because, like I said, I'm very interested in this subject, and so was everybody listening to to talk as Jericho. And I think stories like this need to get out there. Like you said, it, it hopefully, will someone will listen, and next time you know, they're they're in the same position, they won't make the same decisions that some of these other people did.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you letting us come on and share this story on a different platform, and uh, we'll certainly try to make time to do it again. Thanks, guys. Thanks.